Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Welcome back. Today we are going to do a walkthrough of Jacob 6. By way of recap, remember that Jacob 1 was Jacob's introduction. Jacob 2 and 3 were his temple discourse. Jacob 4 was the introduction to the allegory of the olive tree. And Jacob 5 was the allegory that we've spent the last two episodes thinking about. Remember that I also compared Jacob's extended quotation of Zenos to Nephi's extended quotation of Isaiah. And then Jacob 4 shared a lot of similarities with 2 Nephi 25. So we've seen that Jacob drew heavily on 2 Nephi in particular when he laid out his book. That will continue today as we look into Jacob 6, which is Jacob's first real conclusion. If you pay attention to Jacob's tone here, it really seems as though he's intending this to be his final words. He even ends the chapter by saying, Finally, I bid you farewell until I shall meet you before the pleasing bar of God, which bar striketh the wicked with awful dread and fear. Amen. That sounds pretty final. Let's set aside the question of why he then decides to include Jacob 7 until next time, and just assume that Jacob wants chapter 6 to be his final chapter. There are strong similarities between 2 Nephi 31-33 through 33 and Jacob 6. 2 Nephi 31-33 through 33 is Nephi's conclusion to 1st and 2nd Nephi, and Jacob 6 is the conclusion that Jacob gives to his book. These are all dense chapters. They're the type of chapters that are difficult to mark up because you want to highlight every line. They're also pretty short, deceivingly short. If we aren't careful, we'll finish Jacob 5 with a sense of accomplishment and move through Jacob 6 in minutes, not really realizing the truths that he wants to leave us with. So let's get after it. It's only 12 verses, so we're just going to take it as a whole. He begins with a brief commentary on Zenus' allegory. Side note, I just read this interesting blog post by Neil Reply about the name Zenus and the possible meanings. I won't go into too much, but Jacob clearly admires Zenus, as it likely has a connection to the fact that he names his son Enos. Jacob's real concern is with the end of the allegory, the part that we've connected to our day, what he calls the day that he shall set his hand again the second time to recover his people, a phrase he borrows from Isaiah. Speaking of that day, he says, and how blessed are they who have labored diligently in his vineyard. Abinadi, who is a big fan of Jacob, expresses the same sentiment by saying, Oh, how beautiful upon the mountains were their feet, speaking about the prophets. And again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those that are still publishing peace. And again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who shall hereafter publish peace. Yea, from this time henceforth and forever. Oh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bring good tidings, that is the founder of peace. Yea, even the Lord, who has redeemed his people, Yea, him who has granted salvation unto his people. Glad tidings, good tidings, good news, gospel. That's the message of those who labor diligently in his vineyard. We are redeemable. That's the message. Jacob says, How merciful is our God unto us, for he remembers the house of Israel, both roots and branches. And he stretches forth his hand unto them all the day long. As many as will not harden their hearts shall be saved in the kingdom of God. What does laboring diligently with the good news that we are redeemable look like? 
Can we labor diligently even when it seems like all we are seeing is wild fruit? What would motivate us to do so? In other words, when discipleship is not the most comfortable experience, what is it that keeps us laboring? What is it that keeps Jacob laboring? Well, he told us in Jacob 1 why he and others labored diligently. He says they had many revelations in the spirit of much prophecy. Wherefore, we knew of Christ and his kingdom which should come. In other words, if we are using the language of the allegory, they had received a witness and a hope of the fruit, and it was everything to them. We've seen the symbol of fruit being used before in the Book of Mormon. Lehi partakes of the fruit. Nephi says the fruit represents the love of God. Jacob continues on in chapter 1 to compare the fruit to the goodness of God and his rest. The fruit has also been compared to the kingdom of God which should come, the word of God, and the promised land. Alma will compare it to eternal life. All of these things really describe the same thing, and it's what we spoke of in the last episode. The fruit of the covenant is a new way of being human, a new family of God. It might be worth asking why fruit is such an appropriate symbol for this new way of being together. Maybe even more specifically, why olives are central to the story that the Lord tells in Jacob 5. We can't miss the allusion to the atonement of Jesus Christ here. The Savior suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane, an olive orchard. Gethsemane literally means oil press or olive oil press. So all throughout the allegory, we've had this atonement symbolism. But the fruit isn't supposed to be sacrifice and agony. It's supposed to be unity, isn't it? What's the deal? In his new book for the Maxwell Institute, Second Nephi, A Brief Theological Introduction, Terrell Givens writes, The word atonement should not serve primarily as a description of heroic sacrifice, but as a description of the product, the outcome of that sacrifice. Atonement is not a legal term referencing reparation or ransom or payment for sin. It refers to a mode of being that that sacrifice is meant to accomplish. As Julian of Norwich imagines the words of Jesus, I shall together gather you and make you mild and meek, clean and holy, by oneing to me. So that new unified way of being in God's family, of being human, is exactly what the word atonement describes. It is the fruit of fruits provided to us by the King of Kings. How could shifting our understanding of the word atonement from referring to Jesus' sacrifice to referring to the product of Jesus' sacrifice change how we come to think about the purpose of the church? How could it change how we interact with our families, our communities? What about our enemies? Back to Jacob 6. Jacob says, I beseech of you in words of soberness that you would repent and come with full purpose of heart and cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. There's that atonement language of oneness again. Jacob continues by quoting Psalm 95, which interestingly enough, he quoted in his first chapter, meaning that he began and ended his book with a reference to this psalm. He writes, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Psalm 95 is a psalm of praise of God and warning to his people. God is to be praised for his care and concern for his people. He is the shepherd leading them through the wilderness toward the promised land, a place of rest. But Israel refuses to be led into a place of rest and instead chooses to wander for 40 years. In the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that Jacob 6 is similar to 2 Nephi 31-33. through And this is where it starts to become clear. To be led into atonement, we need to hear his voice, be nourished by the good word of God, as Jacob says. Will you reject the words of the prophets, and will you reject the words which have been spoken concerning Christ, and deny the good word of Christ and the power of God? 
and the gift of the Holy Ghost and quench the Holy Spirit and make a mock of the great plan of redemption, or we might call it the everlasting covenant, which hath been laid for you. Enter into the straight gate, he says. What is the straight gate? Nephi calls it the doctrine of Christ. It is the process of following the shepherd in faith, repenting, being baptized as he was baptized, and receiving the Spirit. Jesus actually tells the Nephites of the importance of the doctrine of Christ in 3 Nephi 11. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father, and whoso believeth in me, believeth in the Father also. And unto him will the Father bear record of me, for he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And thus will the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him of the Father and me, for the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. I know we've been all over the place in this episode, but it's important to see that Jacob is drawing on all of these different sources in his final message to us. He wants us to see in plainness that, that they are all teaching the same thing in a thousand different ways. Perhaps we should take them at their word and really consider what types of relationships we are intended to develop as part of this new humanity, and how do those relationships matter beyond just our own personal salvation? What kind of world is this vineyard of the Lord, and are we willing to labor diligently to produce the fruit of the covenant? Since I've already read Jacob's final words, I thought I'd end today with some of my favorite words from Nephi chapter 31. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into the straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Wherefore, ye must press forward with steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. Thanks for feasting on the word of Christ with me today. Until next time, when we'll finish the incredible book of Jacob. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. None of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at SoundCloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom. Thank you.